Hour number two, underway. News Talk 1110-993-WBT, The Pete Callender Show. You can email Pete at thepetecallendershow.com. You can also call 704-570-1110 or 1-800-WBT-1110. Uh, we've been talking about the gun bill that went through the Senate last night. Well, it's moving now to open debate. That's that's what cleared last night. The bill sailed through and now they get to debate it. So it's not it hasn't won Senate approval yet. But these things are very choreographed, right? Unless Schumer. Well, I'm, I'm going to stop myself before I even finish the rest of that sentence, <laughs> because I was about to say whether or not. Uh, you know, Chuck, unless Chuck Schumer is terrible at shepherding legislation through his chamber. But as I'm thinking that through, I'm like, yes, he actually is pretty terrible at doing this. So who knows what's going to happen? But um, the the framework that came out a couple weeks ago, now the skin on the bones, if you will, now the full bill, which followed the framework, picks up 14 Republican uh, votes to move it forward for debate. If the Democrats start messing with the bill, then they risk the Republicans abandoning it. And maybe you look, there are political calculations involved here, right? That maybe Democrats don't want to do something. Maybe, maybe it's in their best interests. They think to, Change the bill, tweak it, put something in there, a poison pill is what it's called. You stick a poison pill in there, and now Republicans peel away. They won't support it. The bill goes down, and then you get to campaign against them. That's possible. Absolutely. Or Democrats want to take half the loaf, as I mentioned earlier. Do you take half the loaf and then come back and fight for the other half later? Or do you fight for the whole thing now and not get anything? Because that's what happens, right? Uh, This is the same thing that, for example, Governor Roy Cooper, this is the game that he played with the North Carolina Republican-led legislature on the budgets. He tried to extort the, you know, certain issues, the expansion of Medicaid. He tried to, he used uh, teacher pay raises. He held them hostage in order to get Medicaid expansion, and then he got nothing. That's the risk you run when you start gambling in these types of negotiations. So, um... It's it's quite possible that the Democrats want half the loaf. I think if I'm a Democrat, first off, I would, you know, change my entire political philosophy because it's crazy. But no, but if I was if I was a Democrat, I would I would want to be able to run on something. I, I, I at this point, what, what else do you have to run on except, you know, Republicans stink. But if you're in power, people are blaming you for all of these problems, just waving my hands all around, just direct at everything, right? Gas prices, crime, everything. So you're to blame for all this stuff. You got uh, not a lot of great news to run on. This would be some good news to motivate your base. Because one of the things in elections you always got to do is you got to keep your base happy before an election. You want to shore up that base before you, you know, start making overtures to uh, the the middle of the country, the the, the moderates, if you will, the, in the general election. This was always the case, has always been the case, right? You run to the to the left if you were in the Democratic Party. You run to the right if you are in the Republican Party during your primaries. And then in the general, you kind of tack back towards the center. 
because you have to be attractive enough to more people in the middle. Which then begs the question, okay, well, now you've got sort of the political calculation charted out for Democrats. What do they want to do? They can satisfy their base, but also this would be attractive to more moderate voters that they did something, right, that they could actually govern. Now let's look at the other side of the aisle. What is in this for the Republicans? (laughs) Because maybe they're thinking it's going to be such a big red wave that we can afford to hack off a bunch of our base. Primaries are over in North Carolina. They are maybe enough of these primaries are over and they don't care. Or some of these people aren't running anytime soon. So they don't care. And we, we feel like we have enough wiggle room here. We can take a couple of percentage points, you know, off our turnout in the general. Maybe that's what they're thinking. I don't know. I'm just trying to, I'm just spitballing here. All right, uh, let me see here. This is an email to Pete at thepetecalendarshow.com. Pete, Tom Tillis wants to take your guns and send them to Ukraine. How would we have been any worse off if the John Edwards 2.0 had won? <laughs> Cal Cunningham. <laughs> uh, well, see, here you go. We don't know how uh, worse off we could have been because, uh, think, uh, think of this, had Cal Cunningham won, and then all of the allegations lead to, say, a court-martial or something, or his resignation, let's say. just It leads to him resigning his seat. Then the state party would appoint, or maybe the governor, I forget which one for U.S. Senator. I think it might be the U.S. I think it might be the governor. Um, he would get to re- uh, appoint a replacement. So Cal Cunningham 2.0 might not have actually been the worst thing that could have happened. We could have had somebody even worse. He could have put Sherry Beasley into that seat. You never know. Anyway, um, but at least we would have been rid of Tillis, says Joseph. Um, Leslie says, Pete, I saw two different stories about the Senate gun bill given a blind vote yesterday. Can you confirm whether the juvenile background check applies to those over the age of 21? And will a gun seller be charged if selling a gun to someone over 21 with such a record? Senator Tillis cannot be reached for this question or how these Republican go-alongs will prevent this bill from being altered by the House and then passed by a simple Senate majority in reconciliation. I won't even get into the red flag stuff uh, that's in this bill. Thanks. Um, Well, I don't think this is not a budget bill, so it, it, it would not be allowable under reconciliation. You're thinking of a conference committee, I think. So conference committee is what occurs. So when Senate runs a bill... House runs a bill, or sorry, Senate runs a bill, sends it to the House. House then amends it. It has to go back to the Senate for approval. And uh, they can do a conference committee where they get together, but you still need the full approval of the Senate. But whatever comes out has to, it would then be subjected to filibuster and rules as well. So reconciliation is not, because it's not a, it's not a budget bill. That's, that's my understanding of it. Uh, Also, uh, it originated in the Senate. So that was a problem with one of the other bills, remember, where it wasn't a spending bill and it didn't originate in the House. And so it wasn't able to be used for reconciliation. Anyway, so I don't think reconciliation is actually available for them on this. Uh, on the juvenile, uh, where is it? Uh, on the juvenile uh, uh, record question, I will answer that. Well, our Stephen Gutowski from The Reload, he'll answer it uh, in a minute.
All right, News Talk 1110 993 WBT. They're like WBT. WBT. Okay. Uh, I got this email from Leslie who said, I saw two different stories about the Senate gun bill given a blind vote yesterday. Can you confirm whether the juvenile background check applies to those over the age of 21? And will a gun seller be charged if selling a gun to someone over 21 with such a record? All right. So here's Stephen Gutowski's rundown on the juvenile uh, record uh, portion. The bill includes a new background check process for those 18 to 20, 18, 19, 20-year-olds. So under the age of 21, 18 to 21, right, there's a new background check process. So if you are only of that age, that's when you would go through that process, this new this new process, all right? That's the first part. The bill would make it illegal for anybody to knowingly sell guns or ammo to anyone who has a juvenile record that includes a felony conviction, domestic violence misdemeanor conviction, or an involuntary commitment after the age of 16. All right, so you cannot sell, knowingly sell guns or ammo to anyone who has a juvie record that's apparently across the board. Until now, those prohibitions had only applied to adult records. So if you committed a felony at age 16, and then you're clean, you don't do anything, 21, uh, you turn 21, you go to get a gun, you would have not been picked up, right? You would, you, nobody would have known about that, that felony conviction. But now it appears that they would. Um, the law does not amend the prohibition on gun possession to include those with disqualifying juvenile records. So if you have a juvenile record, but that never came up and you were able to get a gun and you've been law-abiding ever since, and so you have a legal, legit, you know, firearm, possessing it, not a problem, apparently. So if this is confusing, you're not alone. (laughs) Because David Hersani over at, uh, he's now back at The Federalist, actually. He went from The Federalist. He's a nationally syndicated columnist. He went from The Federalist. That's where I started talking to him. And then uh, he went to National Review. And now he's back at The Federalist. He's a senior editor at The Federalist now. Um, And uh, he's also the author of a book uh, about guns in America. I forget what the name of it was called, but... um, Anyway, he has a big column on this and uh, today. The do-something gun control bill does little but erode rights. Here's what Harsani says about the juvenile record component. Anybody 18 to 21 with a juvenile record, sealed or expunged, though it's pretty difficult to tell by the language of the bill, <laughs> uh, that includes a felony or a misdemeanor conviction for domestic violence or if they were involuntarily committed after the age of 16. After the age of 16, okay, they may not be able to purchase a gun. So right now there's just this three-year gap, this three-year age window, 18 to 21. If you've got a juvenile record between 18 and 21 or if you were involuntarily committed after 16 years old. Does that make sense? 
Now, he goes on to say uh, the wait time can be up to 10 days instead of the usual three, while the NICS system process uh, and the FBI looks into uh, your records. But it's unclear, he says, if this means Americans of any age will be barred from purchasing a gun if they had a juvie record. The entire section of this bill is a mess, he says. So you can be forgiven for being confused <laughs> because if David Hersanyi can't understand it and this is kind of his beat, um, then what chance do we have? He goes on to say that it's clear that the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act, or as we like to call it, the BSCA, was uh, written in a rush by politicians far more interested in doing something about guns than proposing any well-considered ideas. That's surely the reason the Senate took a procedural vote only hours after releasing the text and why they'll probably pass the bill in a few days. It's going to take years, however, to figure out how it all works. The bill's numerous, vague, open-ended provisions will almost surely be abused by prosecutors, cops, aggrieved family members, exes, and political opponents. And in the meantime, the likelihood that any of its provisions will actually help mitigate mass shootings... Very, very small. Very small. In fact, the Washington Post's Glenn Kessler, certainly no NRA champion, he went through every mass shooting since 2015. He came up with, guess how many? How many instances in all of these mass shootings where red flag laws would have actually stopped the shooter or could potentially have stopped the shooter? How many? Since 2015. Two. And in one of them, the Parkland massacre, the police had ignored outright threats made by the shooter that would already have allowed them to take away his guns. There's an unpopular opinion I have. Actually not rather be back at the bayou. It's just me. Robert Kroos, he is a, uh, let's see, he's the founder of Based Con and author of 22 novels. Uh, his latest series is the Prometheus Award-nominated Mammon. Mammon. And uh, Robert Kroos says, we're going to send a red wave of Republicans to D.C. to compromise so hard. That's it. There you go. That's the message. <laughs> They're going to go out there. Man, they're going to get some compromising done. Um, David Hersani writing at thefederalist.com on re- federal red flag law funding, perhaps the most controversial provision. The bill makes a big show of demanding protections for due process rights and against infringement of the Constitution, quote unquote. It demands there be penalties against abuse of the program. All of this is unenforceable, as Republicans know. A number of blue states have already passed red flag laws that nullify gun rights on the word of a third party accusation, sometimes ex parte. You know what that means? That means you're not even there. You're not even present. You just get a knock at the door. Cops show up and they're like, somebody said some stuff about you, said you're crazy or whatever. And so give us your guns. Ex parte outside of the presence of the party. And. Uh, not only uh, demand they accuse or demand the accused prove their innocence before having their rights reinstated, but allow for property searches without the usual evidentiary standards. These laws are already in place. 
this is why I said from the very beginning, when I first learned about the red flag laws, this was a couple of years ago, it may have been after Parkland, actually, um, and I started looking into some of them, and I like the concept. The problem is nobody seems able to get the concept down on paper in a way that doesn't infringe on innocent people's rights. And that's 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 a pretty big deal. That's a pretty big deal. I don't trust government. Well, actually, I should just put a period right there at the end of that sentence. <laughs> I don't trust government, period. Uh, but I and that's look, this is why I this is why I changed my views on the death penalty. It's not that I oppose the ultimate punishment for people who do heinous things. It's that I don't trust government. And I don't like the idea of government executing innocent people, which I am quite certain has occurred. So I'm not willing to do that. I'm not interested in 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 executing innocent people in exchange for executing the bad people. That's sort of my position on teacher pay. Oh, my God, Pete, did you just equate that to the death penalty? I did not. I'm just saying I don't like these blanket policies for everybody. Teacher pay, same way. Oh, you've been here 10 years and you've been here 10 years and you're a good teacher, but that other one isn't. But you're going to get paid the same amount of money. No, you shouldn't do that. You should treat them as the individual. Anyway, I don't trust government here. And so you already have state governments that have abused their citizens because that's what governments tend to do. It's their jam. That's their jam. They abuse citizens. That's why, you know, a government is a uh, useful servant, but a fearful master like fire. Oh, my God, don't put that on a koozie. It's a founding father's message. And if you put that on a koozie, Harris Teeter is going to take them off the shelves after Christy Clark complains about it. So states have already gone too far with these red flag laws. Until the Supreme Court undoes these laws, which is highly unlikely to happen anytime soon, states are going to receive funding. So this bill will fund these abuses. And I'm not on board with that. I am not on board with that. I understand you're, uh, you think you found this sort of clever by half loophole that allows you to wiggle through like, oh, well, we got red flag laws. Look at us. We're going to fund the red flag laws without actually having to write the red flag laws. Right. So here, just take some money. Yeah, just keep doing what you're doing down there. Oh, I've heard some abuses, but whatever. Let California be California. They're abusing their citizens, your citizens as the federal representative. Right. They're abusing U.S. citizens. Um, he says it's one thing for California or Rhode Island to do this. It's another for national Republicans to fund their efforts. Um. Then there was, hang on a second, let me bounce back over to, I think I answered Leslie's question. Yeah, answered Leslie's question. The proposal would make it illegal to knowingly sell a gun or ammo to somebody of any age who has a disqualifying juvenile record. But it would not be illegal for them to attempt to buy it. So you could be charged for selling it, but they would not be charged for buying it. <laughs> Does that make sense? It doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. I got a uh, message here from my buddy Tim at Old Grouch's Military Surplus up in the mountains there. And uh, he says the change 
in defining who needs a license to sell firearms is problematic. The standard used to be that you needed a license to sell guns if you sold any with the intent to, quote, make a living or sorry, make a livelihood and profit. And uh, now it's just been changed to intent to make a profit. The way guns go up in value, people make profits if they just own it for a couple of years and sell it later. That's true. I know people who collect guns. Some might say hoard, <laughs> but, but they collect them. And I know what a, a friend of mine, um, this was several years ago before he lost all of his guns at the bottom of a lake in a terrible boating accident. But um, the uh, but no, he bought a gun and it was uh, it was a collector's item. It was a very rare, very powerful and I don't think ever fired weapon. And it was pretty old. And he never took it to the range. He never did anything with it. A couple of years later, he sold it for a bunch of extra more money than he paid for it. It had increased in value. And so what now simply making a profit is going to require you to have an FFL, a license to sell. Um, he says they could potentially go after anybody who sells a gun for more than they paid for being an unlicensed dealer. And the person has to prove that they did not intend to make a profit, but were just liquidating or improving a collection. Selling a few guns because you fall on hard times and the value has gone up and you really need the money could potentially be criminalized under this bill. Um, Let's see. The bill also expands the definition of domestic violence to include dating relationships. This one was a, this one was tough. Uh, I'll get into this after the uh, the break here. The entire specialized background check process, though, for the 18 to 21 year olds, that is set to expire in 10 years. So they did put a sunset on it. I would applaud them for that. It's always good to put sunsets on on uh, laws that you know you don't know how they're going to affect people and the industry and that sort of thing. So building in a sunset provision, I'm generally a fan of um, when it comes to this kind of stuff. But the dating relationships component, the definition of that caused a bit of a, a delay. They got hung up on how to define this for domestic violence abusers. Uh, so we'll get into that, tell you what they came up with in a minute. News Talk 1110-993-WBT, the bill that the senators, 14 Republicans, clearing the way for the bill to proceed after it was introduced last night, a couple hours uh, before the vote to, uh, to proceed. The bill expands the definition of domestic violence in order to include dating relationships. It applies to anybody who is convicted of a misdemeanor violent attack that they are or recently were in a continuing serious relationship of a romantic or intimate nature. Again, dating relationship, a continuing serious relationship. So just, so I'm guessing like just the hookup culture, not, this doesn't apply. 
because it's not serious, right? No, we're not serious. Look, I specifically told her we are not serious. And by we, I meant I am not serious. Like, I'm in like with you, but I'm, we just, you know, we're, we're having the casual hookups and such. So it's not a dating relationship. A continuing serious relationship of a romantic or intimate nature. But if it's not serious, and it's not continuing. What's continuing? Don't know. Continuing would be a pattern. For how long? Don't know. How many times within a certain uh, time frame? Don't know. The text says whether the relationship falls under this definition will be determined by its length, its nature, as well as the frequency and type of interaction between those involved. Oh, so we're going to where, like, the the Catholic Church was back in the, uh, you know, back in the Dark Ages, medieval times, right, when they were, like, asking everybody what's going on in the bedroom and all of that stuff. That So now we're going to have, we're going to have the, the government do that. It really is. It really is interesting how similar these institutions have become. Anyway, it specifically rejects any casual acquaintanceship or ordinary fraternization in a business or social context as part of the definition. Okay? So it rejects casual acquaintanceship. So they think this is going to be the protection for everybody. They think this is going to be the protection to prevent people who just don't like you. No, I mean, nobody does like you. All right, so people who don't like me. There are a lot of them. People don't like me, which is really weird because I'm such a nice guy. I, I Seriously, like, my wife can bring me anywhere, and I'll talk with everybody, and I have a great time. And, I mean, it's draining. Don't get me wrong. I'm a bit of an introvert. But, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's draining, and I, I'm able to converse with people, and it doesn't and, and disagree with them politically. It doesn't matter. But... Some people don't like me for some reason. I just cannot comprehend it. Um, this is their protection. They think this is going to guard against a coworker of yours that is mad that you ate their sandwich or something from the fridge. And so they're going to, you know, they're going to go get your guns taken because they heard you talk about going to the range the other day. So they're going to they're going to go and they're going to send law enforcement to your house to confiscate your weapons and then. You'll have to go and prove you're not crazy or not a threat, and then you can get your guns back after, you know, months and months and months of going through uh, the oh-so-speedy court system, particularly in jurisdictions run by Democrats. The updated definition would not be applied retroactively. So if you have these prior convictions and stuff for domestic violence— you're not going to be covered under the bill under, if it becomes law. Additionally, anybody barred under the new dating relationship provision would be automatically eligible for their record to be expunged and removed from the background check system after five years if you don't commit any further crimes during that time period. That clemency would not extend to the misdemeanor domestic violence offenses against spouses or children that are already prohibited uh, for life under federal law. There's already, see, so this already exists for spouses or children. If you whip up on your spouse or kids, you don't get to own a firearm. That's how that works. See, how many people, how many people don't know that? 
that keep demanding common sense guns, uh, gun uh, 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 legislation. How many people do you think are unaware of that? Yeah, you're not allowed to do that. Not allowed to get a gun if you've been whipping up on your spouse. Now, this is going to expand that to dating partners. Do you think this might have an impact on whether or not people commit to somebody else for a long-term relationship if this door gets opened that now they... Now, I know, far be it for me to suggest that people get wrongfully accused of whipping up on their dating partners when the relationship sours. Is this... Hello, Joe. Welcome to the program. What's going on? Well, hey there, Pete. I appreciate you expounding all the the garbage that, you know, basically that they're trying to put on us, and I really appreciate that. You're you're the best in Charlotte for that. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. That's very kind of you. Yeah, well, I mean, you really are a godsend, and I'm, you know, just I've always appreciated you. Um, What I wanted to talk about was something I remembered yesterday, actually. And the fact is, that, see, I used to be a big-time supporter of the Republican Party up to about 2014. I've never, I have never been a big-time supporter of the Democrat Party. I've just been, you know, got matter and matter and matter as they've become more radical over the years. Over the years, mm-hmm. but um, but, then, but then I quit supporting the Republican Party, except for maybe a few candidates here and there. And the fact was, I remembered the Republican Party. You might as well call it the Chamber of Commerce, because all they cared about, and I mean all they cared about, really, except for, you know, Bush wanted to run into a rock, mm. uh, was basically the stock market. How much money and how high was the stock market? They didn't care if the education went to hell. They didn't care if the ed- if culture went to hell. They didn't care if justice went to hell. They didn't care about anything but the stock market. And it was only under Trump that they started caring about something else. They were just as guilty as the as the Democrats for letting, you know, millions and millions of illegal immigrants crossing the border. They were just as much responsible. They did nothing to stop it until Trump come along. And I just want people to know that, you know, the heart of that uh, the heart of that party today unfortunately is money i got you i mean yeah joe i appreciate the call i think these are fair criticisms there's no doubt about it that that is a very that's a very dominant strain inside the gop absolutely uh well i mean the republican party used to be like the three coalitions right you had the 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 defense war hawks you had the evangelical christian coalition right and then you had the the sort of libertarians right 